today. 322. Let's pray this to the Lord. He sees our heart and that which many times we have upon our heart that we won't voice because we're afraid. The Lord sees and he knows what to do and he knows how to do it. So let's um, look at, we can sing all the stanzas, okay? Deeper, deeper. In the love of Jesus, daily let me go. Higher, higher, in the school of wisdom, more of grace to know. Oh, deeper yet I pray, and higher every day, and wiser, blessed Lord. In thy precious holy word, deeper, deeper, blessed Holy Spirit, take me deeper still, till my life is wholly lost in Jesus and his perfect will. Oh, deeper yet I pray. And higher every day, and wiser, blessed Lord, in thy precious holy word. Deeper, deeper, though it costs our trials, deeper let me go. Rooted in the Holy love of Jesus, let me fruitful grow. Oh, deeper yet I pray, and higher every day, and wiser, blessed Lord, in thy precious holy word. Deeper, deeper, Every day in Jesus, till all conflict past finds me conquer, and in His own image perfected at last. Oh, deeper yet I pray, higher every day, and blessed Lord in thy precious holy word in stanza four it says um, deeper deeper every day in Jesus till all conflict past and the conflict many times is what's in our heart as the Lord tries to do things and change us into his image as it says here in stanza four and then the last part uh, what says per perfected at last, the perfection the Lord has for us is going to take 
some trials and certain things we're going to have to endure and go through. That's the, the process. That's the perfecting. And then he says here, and wise are blessed Lord in thy precious holy word. So if we're ever going to see certain things in the word, we must go through things in our life. We must. And it's not a bad thing to be in a difficult place or to have some difficulty in our life or to have some struggle, something that we, we need to overcome because the Lord will challenge us. See, I believe that if the Lord doesn't challenge us and we don't, so to speak, rise to the occasion in his grace and his faith, that we would stagnate. And many times Christians do stagnate. They just they don't progress because they hit something and they don't push through it. And not that we do that in our own strength, but the Lord needs you. So he needs your will. He gave you a free will. So the making process and the working process will take two, not one. It will take two. It will take the Lord's work, His will, His purpose, His working upon you, and then it will take you in your surrender and your you know, submission to Him in the whole process. So you have many people who have had the call of God on their life and have never, ever gone to fulfill that call because they're waiting for God to do something in their life, and God's waiting for them. So, you know, there's, there's a, a dual thing, and you see this in the Scriptures everywhere. You see it with Moses, you know. You know, God didn't twist his arm to go to Pharaoh. You know, this is what I want you to do. I can't speak, and so on and so forth, he said. But nevertheless, Moses took the step of faith and he did what God said. So God wanted to send Moses. That was his will and purpose. But it took Moses, his will. See, So without your will in it, you're not going to make it too far. You won't even make it to church. You know that. Without your will. When you got up this morning and maybe it was cold in the house before the, the heater came on, and you're under the, the blankets, nice and toasty and warm. You know how that is. And you're thinking, oh, I don't really want to get up. I don't want to go to church. So God's not going to force you. He's not going to come with his arm and tear the blanket off, you see. He wants you and myself to exercise our will. So you see this everywhere and throughout the scriptures. There are certain things exclusively the Lord does, yes. But as far as... His work in you, what he wants to accomplish in you and through you, that's going to mean that there's going to be this dual thing, the Lord and you, his will and your will coupled with that, whatever it may be. Now, let's begin here today in Isaiah chapter 40. Now, when I teach in the Bible school a lot, I, I actually look at the context or the literal thing. Now, you're aware, I'm sure, most of you, that you have the literal thing going on in the Scripture. In other words, the context. When you say the context, that's what's there in the context and how that played out in the context. So you have 
the context, and then you have the figurative thing. Uh, for example, if I were to say to you, uh, on your shoulders is your head. Now we know what that is, right? It's his head, right? Then if I would say to you, well, he or she is the head of the company. Now it doesn't mean that they're a little head, literal head, you see. But figuratively, that means that they're in a position of authority, uh, they're the leader of the company, they're, you know, whatever, you know, they're the head of the company. So even with that word, uh, you see this in the Bible a lot, and we use it in, in the English language too. The, as I said, the head of the company, that's a figurative uh, sentence. And so John sees Jesus coming along and he says, behold the Lamb of God. Well, that's figurative. It has a meaning to it, and there is a literal lamb of God in Leviticus that they actually slaughtered, and you know about the Passover lamb. And so John used this figurative speech, and he says, Jesus is the lamb of God. Now, he's not a literal lamb, but it typifies his sacrifice for the world and for the sin that John, John could see that. So this is, this is something throughout the Bible. And because a person does not look at the context and just uses the, the literal form of what's going on, it doesn't mean it's incorrect. Because some people will say, well, you know, you're not looking at the literal context of it. And I, I believe that many times if you look at the context of what's going on in the verse or in the chapter, it can lend to the Lord showing you other things. But the context alone uh, is not it. So, the, so for us, many times, there is the figurative thing that's going on, or you have the literal interpretation of the literal thing, and then you have the figurative thing, which applies to us today. So you have both of those things. You have the metaphor, metaphorical is what they call it. For example, uh, the one phrase in the Bible, it says that a mighty fortress is our God. See, that's metaphorical. God is not this big fortress, you know, made of wood. But when, when people related to the mighty fortress, that meant, you know, a place of, of safety and, and so on. And so you have this metaphorical thing coming out from the scriptures. And I said it's throughout the Bible. So in chapter 40, I want to show you just, just briefly We'll start with the context of this because I think that we we take the uh, the metaphorical or the figurative thing here, and of course that's it is very true, and you'll see it in the New Testament. We'll probably go there, and you know we don't see the literal part of it. So in chapter forty here, the context is that the people of God, the Israelites, Judah. They were taken into captivity into Babylon. And the prophecy, I think it was in Jeremiah, I, I think. Um, yes, he said that they would be there 70 years. After 70 years, that thing would be fulfilled, and then the Lord would take the people of God out of Babylon somehow, some way, and bring them back to their land and bring them back to Jerusalem. So the context here is that the people of God are in captivity, and the prophet here speaks to them related to the delivering hand of God. Now, let's read the first couple of verses. 
Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says the Lord, or says God. And I'll, as we go, I'll interject the figurative thing in here. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. It's talking about them being in captivity, and, and God's you know, word said that they would you know, go there, and that that would be um, a, a punishment, if you will, for their sin and for their rebellion against God you know, for the many years and so forth, that they, they were in that place. So in, in this is still the context is Babylon. The pe- people are going to be brought out of Babylon and brought into uh, Jerusalem once again. Verse 3, now this is still the context, by the way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. Now, as I said, the context is that the Lord was going to make a way here for them to go from Babylon back to their homeland. And this is something, this type of speech here, this, um, the verses, how, what it's saying, is something that occurred back then. See, they didn't have a network of roads like we have, for example, in our country. You can get just about anywhere on the roads. Back then, they had very few roads. And to go from one place to the other, the king or the monarch or whomever uh, would send officers or he would send people out to look at the, the way that they would go and they would prepare the way if the road was, was um, if there wasn't a road, they would build a road. If there was a road and it was in ill repair and they couldn't uh, pass through the way they should, the armies or whomever, then they would send them out to repair that. So that's the literal thing. That's what they actually did. Um, and then also you see this taken and applied to John the Baptist. Now, before we go any further, I just want to just read, just back up for one minute. This is a verse from Ezra. You don't have to turn there. So the the Lord, in the context, he's going to do something for his people, literally. And see, by the way, the Lord does things literally for his people today. So he's going to stir up this king's heart. His name's Cyrus. Now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, uh, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he might make a, a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing saying, and he goes on, um, there's another verse I was going to read here. I can't find it. That's okay. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> so the Lord stirs up the spirit of Cyrus, and he's going to be used by the Lord to fulfill this prophecy in uh, Isaiah 40. So you have that. Then you have this being applied to John the Baptist, and that's where we normally see this, that he would prepare a way for the Lord, prepare the way for the Lord himself, prepare the way for the message of the gospel, 
there was preparation by John the Baptist uh, to go out and do a work or the purpose of God for his life. In um, Luke 3, you can turn there. So you see this many times. If you read the New Testament, you'll see the apostles, they will take a verse from the Old Testament, and what they're doing is they're lifting it out of its context. See, people have a real problem. Some people have a real problem when you do that. But the apostles did that. They, they read that, and they knew the literal uh, interpretation of that because, of course, they were in... Jerusalem and in, in, in Palestine, and they know that the, the Babylonians brought the people into captivity and they were brought back. They, they read these things. So they, they would take a scripture out of its literal context and bring it over. Now, they didn't do that. That was the Spirit of God in them, you know. And they would bring it over here, and that would be applied to what was going on in that time and in that day? So in Luke 3, uh, verse 3, And he went into all the region round about Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. This is speaking of John the Baptist. As it is written in the book, uh, of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So you see that's a direct quote from Isaiah 40. Now that's taken and applied by the Spirit of God, to not taken it out of the literal context now and brought over here and applied to John the Baptist. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. So you have John the Baptist on the scene, and he's preaching to the people, he's baptizing the people, and he had his ministry in the desert. Now, it may not have been a desert as we would normally think of the Mojave Desert or the desert out in western uh, U.S., because there was water there. So it was probably a more desolate area where there wasn't a lot of uh, population. And it was just called a desert. So this is where John the Baptist uh, was growing. And, you know, uh, when he was entered into this ministry that the Lord gave him, that's where he was. And the message was, in, that came out from him, was prepare the way of the Lord. Now, that same message is brought again to the heart of people today. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, or prepare ye the way uh, of the Lord into your heart, into your life. So the Holy Spirit does this even now, where you have an individual, and the Spirit of God starts working in their circumstances, and you know whatever that may entail, and brings them to a place where, you know, maybe certain things are very difficult in their life, or they've gone through some traumatic things, or maybe they were looking for the Lord and they, they never found Him. And now the, the Lord's, this is the right time, this is the right place. 
and the Spirit of God now has been preparing their hearts through the things that they've gone through to prepare a way for the Lord, and then the Lord comes through the message of the gospel, and they receive Christ. But see, that's not the end of it. That's the beginning of it. So where now the Spirit of God continues to work in the heart and the life of you, of me, of other Christians, to prepare a people for the Lord. So let's continue on here. So in verse 4, he says, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Make his path straight so that he can come directly to you, so that you have a heart, uh, the, um, the condition of your heart is soft, so that the Lord can come straight to you. Every valley shall be filled. So there are people, and I'll just, just relate certain things that the Lord's showing me here. There are certain people, you run into them, and they're Christians, and they think that they're dirt. They think that, they're, that there's no use for them. God doesn't love them, or maybe they believe that, but they, they believe that you know, they're down here, and they can't function anywhere else because they've been pushed down or held down all their life. So the Lord will work on a heart like that, and every valley, see, shall be filled. And every mountain, you have those people who are in pride. Uh, they're lifted up. They think they're the best. They think they're the greatest. And the God has to bring them down so that every, every mountain, every hill, every high place is brought low. And the crooked... Places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. So the, the Lord will come, and you know the person may think everything is fine with them in their heart and their life, and here's all these rough edges. So the Lord sees those rough edges, and the Spirit of God will start to take off or sand that or um, take some coarse thing and start to, to work on that rough edge to prepare a way for the Lord. So he goes on here, and John the Baptist, in verse 10, the, the people, he's out there baptizing, and then the people come to him, and they said, what shall we do? So you have a group, a group that comes and says this, and he says, well, he that has two tunics or two garments, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. So that's what he tells them. So he's, he's giving them specific instructions for that group of people. Then when you go down to verse 12, then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Then he said to them, Collect no more taxes than what is appointed for you. And then likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? So everybody has this, what shall we do, in, in their heart. And so John the Baptist, who was a great prophet, led of the Spirit, is able to tell this group or this individual, this is what you need to do, and this individual, this is what you need to do. And the direction of the Spirit is always tailored to the individual person. So what the Lord does in your life or how he does something in your life or what he has you give up or what he has you uh, to do 
will, will be most likely different than the person next to you because he's a personal God, a personal Savior. He deals, deals with you and I on a personal level. So the Lord here is showing us that you know, for salvation, for them to continue, for them to be prepared, um, Luke 1, verse 17 This is what the angel of the Lord says to Zacharias pertaining to John the Baptist, verse 17, and he will also go before him, meaning the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elijah to, or for the purpose, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. See, that's a work of the spirit for that to be right, where the father's heart toward the children and and toward uh, one person's heart toward another person is correct. That's a work of God. That's the the power of the Spirit. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So so there's a turning there of the heart to that which is correct. To make ready a people for the Lord. So the ministry of John the Baptist was to, to make ready a people, prepare them for the Lord. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit today is to make ready a people for the Lord. What people? What people? Well, those who have come to Christ, those who have experienced this birth, those who have uh, moved in a direction now, so so they are a new creature in Christ. So he he is now preparing the hearts of people. Well, how's he going to do that? Well, as I said in the beginning, the Lord will work and it will take your will. Your will. In Ephesians, yeah, Ephesians. Let's stop and think for a second. Ephesians 5. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And that's a pretty tall command. Now, let me ask you, husbands, something. Because that is a tall command, does that mean it's impossible? No. So... For you to love your wife like Christ loved the church and it says and gave himself for her means that we are to give ourselves to our wives. You know, there is a giving there that is directed by the Spirit. It sources the Spirit. It's directed by the Spirit and it will have the impact of the Spirit in her life. So so you may not believe this, that you will have quite a hand in how your wife turns out. As far as uh, preparing her, the Lord can prepare her apart from you, yes, and He does that. But you are going to be a vessel you're, you're going to be 
the hand of the Lord used in many instances to do something in her. Whether she's aware of it or not, doesn't matter. So he goes on, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that, or for the purpose, that he might sanctify, set her apart, sanctifications, you know, dealing with, you know, being set apart unto the Lord, that he might sanctify and cleanse her uh, with the washing of water by the word. So the, the whole thing here seems to be the spirit using the word of God to accomplish this. Forget about the vessel at this point. But the spirit of God is going to use the word of God. She's going to be washed by the washing of water by the word. Now, it's talking about the bride of Christ here, you see. That, verse 27, he, Jesus, might present her, the church, the bride, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So when you see this phrase here, that she is to be holy and without blemish, that's talking about the work of God. That's talking about how God can take a person who has been unholy, change them, and do things in them that are so far beyond what they ever thought. And, and now they're living totally different than the way they were before. And now they're on this path, the highway of holiness, and the Lord is developing in them, a little bit at a time, his character, his holiness, so that when certain things pop up, there is no longer a desire to do what is unholy. That's, that's out of the picture. The Lord deals with that. The Spirit of God takes that rough edge away. And now the person has their focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ and allowing the Lord, through their will, their submission, to work in their life to take off these rough edges and to prepare a way for the Lord in their life and to prepare a people, to prepare them for ultimately for uh, the marriage to Christ, ultimately. So there's a lot going on. The Bible's telling us there's a lot going on. You know, we might not be too aware of certain things, uh, but if you can just give your life to him and say, Lord, you have your will, you have your way in my life. And if you can say, I'm going to continue on in what you're showing me, the direction for me. Uh, if you can do that, which I believe you can. Remember I, I said it has to be God's spirit and your will. If you can do that, and you follow through with that, then this process we're talking about and seeing here, this preparation, uh, John the Baptist, the Spirit of God, you see, that will occur. It will occur over time. So um, back in Luke, when John the Baptist, Luke 2, when he tells them and instructs them, He's being moved by the Spirit of God to give them direction. So you, as a Christian, 
will receive direction from the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody necessarily is going to come up and tell you. Now, if you're a young Christian, somebody might, might help you. But as you go on, you'll have a communication from God, from the Spirit, to teach you and to show you the way to go. So that by going that way, all these different things that we read in the Word, you know, that we think are impossible sometimes to be fulfilled, you know, be perfect, be mature, you know, they will be fulfilled, they will be taken care of. So back in Isaiah 40, when the Lord starts to work, there are always things that get in the way. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? Be it from outside or be it from our own heart. When the Lord is starting to work in your life, there will be resistance from other people. There will be resistance from maybe your old carnal nature that you might not want to do what the Lord is showing you to do. So in verse 4, we just looked at this. It's talking about uh, the mountains and the hills brought low. So that anything in the, in the context here and in your life and my life, anything that stands in the way of, of this preparing the way of the Lord, must be removed. See, the, the crooked places, uh, the rough places, the mountainous places, uh, what does it say, the valley, all, the, all that stuff needs to be removed, see, because that's going to be in front, and the Spirit of God wants to remove those things. In order for the work to continue, or in order for the fulfillment of the prophetic thing here, certain things must be removed. Certain things must be brought out of the way. Now, in the book of Ezra, and we're not going to go there. I just have this real quick. If you remember, we read about Cyrus. Well, after that, a man comes on the scene. His name is Zerubbabel. And the first return to the land was by Zerubbabel and some men, and they rebuild the temple. That's the first return. The second group that returns was Ezra, and he rebuilds the spiritual condition of the people. Zerubbabel takes care of the outside, the, 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 the uh, temple thing, you see. But the Lord's not interested in just that. He always looks at this wholeness, the whole thing. And so the people are in a certain spiritual condition. So the Lord uses Ezra to work in a way. Now, Ezra did a literal thing, too. But he's working and being used by God to help the spiritual condition of the people. 
And then as you go on in the book, the third return is to Jerusalem. This fulfills certain prophecies that are in the Bible. So on a personal level here again, even in the book of Ezra, you see the heart of the people needs to be prepared. So that, that's from the context, that's a figurative thing, uh, and that is something that applies to you and I today. There no, is no difference. Now he says here something in verse 5. He says, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So as the work, and I'm going to apply this to us, as the work of the Lord or the work of the Spirit in your life personally, as that is accomplished, the Lord and your will, as that is accomplished, you will see what it's saying in verse 5 that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So if you want to see the glory of the Lord, you must allow the Lord to have His way in your life. If you allow Him to have His way, and there is a heart of cooperation in our heart, as we continue on, we will see the glory of the Lord. We will see that that which the Lord has done in our heart personally is so far beyond what we thought or even could have dreamt possible. And as we look at that and we see where our life was and where He has brought us in maybe a 10-year time, or a 15-year time, or a 20-year time, we will be quite overwhelmed, and we will see the glory of the Lord in that. To some degree, we will see it. You shall see the glory of the Lord as this process continues. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare your heart. Prepare a people for me. And in that, as that continues, you will see the glory of the Lord. You'll see this over here and say, wow, that's really something. And in looking back and seeing certain things that the Lord does, it's miraculous. Nothing less than miraculous. To take someone who was going their own way, doing their own thing, uh, had no desire for God or the things of God, now being touched by the hand of God and having this change take place in them, it's nothing less than miraculous. And now because the change initially has taken place, wow, now the Lord can start to, to do all kinds of things. Verse well, let's just read the rest of the verse. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse 6. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? Well, here's what he's going to cry. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness, or all its goodness, all its kindness, all the beauty of the flesh 
all the devotion of the flesh is like the flower of the field. What do you mean by that? Well, verse 7, the grass withers and the flower fades. So in the midst of what we're reading here about preparing the way, all this preparation to go on in our lives, in the midst of that, what's brought in the picture? Two things are brought in the picture now. One is the flesh. Oh, well, I was, I was okay with this whole thing now until you said the flesh. Oh, my. Have we not heard enough about the flesh? No, we haven't. The Bible has a lot to talk about that. Now, there's two aspects of the flesh, and I'll just give this to you real quick. One is the carnal nature. That's what God deals with. He, he wants to kill that, the old nature, the sinful nature. In this context, I believe it's talking about the natural thing, the natural body, the flesh. So that, you know, you're out of high school. How many can remember you older people? Can you remember when you were in high school? Doesn't seem too long ago. How about, um, you know, when you got your first job after you were 21? You know, you're 21, you're 25, and the next thing you're looking at the big 3-0. You say, whoa, how did I get here? The next thing it's the big 5-0. You say, whoa, what happened to 20 years? Well, what happened to this week? How fast did this week go? Pretty fast, isn't it? Well, he's saying here that everything in the natural, in particular, our bodies. Now, I remember when I was 21, 22, 24. You're strong, physically, strong-willed. You can still be strong-willed when you're older, by the way, as long as you know, the Lord gets a hold of that. But the natural body is going to fade just like the grass or the flower of the field. So there's, there's a couple contrasts here. One is that you have the preparation that the Lord wants to do, but now you have the natural thing that can get in the way. The natural thing, you know, we, we need to have things in perspective, and it takes the Spirit of God opening our eyes to put life, and our life in particular, into perspective. You know, you, you're 30, you're, you're 35. I'm telling you what, you're going to be 60 before you know it. It's so, it goes so fast. So what are you going to do with your life? So here you have the flesh. It's going to fade. It's going to, it's going to die. It's going to be like the flower that comes up, and then, you know, well, poop, it's gone. That often puzzles me. Well, I won't give you enough time. But anyway... The grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. So apart from God, you know, grass is not real valuable. I mean, you, when you mow it, it you, you falls to the ground there, right? And what do you do? Do you take it out in the front, you know, street and sell it? No. You either leave it lay or you throw it in a pile. So grass is not too valuable. But see, a life in God, a life that is lived in God, has intrinsic value 
that is valuable here and now and will have great value later also. So now, I'm going to put this in perspective for you to kind of bring this together. So you have the preparation, then you have this grass, your life, it's fading. So, you know, don't be so concerned about the fading of the grass. Be more concerned about the preparation of your heart and your life. Then you have the third thing that comes on the scene, and that is seen in verse 8. The grass withers, the, fl the flower fades, but in contrast to that, the word of God stands forever. The word of God stands forever. So the important thing here now to see is the word of God. So you have this, the Bible, which is the word of God, but you have the word of God that's taken his words that is taken out of the Bible and applied as, by the Spirit of God as he sees fit to us, to our life. So that word that produces something in your life, that will abide forever. See, this Bible that I hold here is not going to, you know, it's not going to exist forever. See, this is paper. This is leather. It's not going to exist forever. But the Word of God that the Spirit takes out of this and puts in your heart and life to produce a change, to prepare you, that will last forever. Forever. Always in you. And I've often thought, I said, Lord, I would really love to have a Bible in my hand someday, you know, after here when we get to heaven. To, to go through, and I don't necessarily believe that's going to be the case. It very well may be. Now, I, don't, I can't back this up with Scripture, but I know one thing. I know that man does not use his, the, the full capacity of his brain power. I know that. I know that whenever we have a new body, it's going to be much different it's going to have the capacity, a capacity that's going to be far, 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 far beyond what we have, have experienced in these bodies uh, or could even understand. You see Jesus after the, uh, the resurrection. He walks through walls. He does all kinds of things. He, he stands there and he ascends. <laughs> so who knows what, what you're going to be able to do. Your body's going to be, your uh, spiritual body's going to be capable of a lot of things. And it very well may be all what you have read, this may, you know, there are people even now, Christians, that have photographic memory. You see some people, the one individual on TV, he just quotes scripture after scripture all over the Bible. He, he has most of the Bible committed to memory. I don't even know how that's possible. But see, the mind, uh, it, you know, because we have been so affected by sin, you know, we have lost so much that we are not even aware of. So then, it very well may be what you have read, what you have heard, what you have understood, that will all be here, and you, you'll have total recall. So how important is the Word of God for us? We might, you know, you, if you have a Christian that never reads the Bible, never hears the Word preached or taught, 
you know, that may be, it's, a, a, it's quite a, it is a detriment to them now, yes, for sure. Because this whole thing sometimes just doesn't, what the Lord wants to do in preparing and what have you, isn't done. But who knows what the ramifications are as far as eternity. So the best thing for us to do, and this is easy to say, is to allow the word of God when it comes to us to do what it's to do and to change us in the areas that we need changed and to work in us what needs to be worked in and to work out of us what needs to be worked out. That whole process, the best thing for us to do here and now is to cooperate with the Lord. Uh, to allow him, to surrender to him, to allow him to do uh, what he wants to do in our lives today uh, because what we leave this life with will be what we have for eternity. And, and the word of the Lord will abide forever, as it says in Isaiah 40. So the focus is not to be on the flower of the grass, the flesh, the natural thing, your body, you know, the whole thing, or the, the fleshly uh, carnal nature. The focus is to be, in that chapter, as I see it, where we were reading, is the word of the Lord and what that word can possibly do in us. Now, how many here know that you have some rough edges? Well, boy, I got some, I got some real facial expressions with that one. That's the most I got all day here. <laughs> well, that's true, but remember this, that the Word of God is quick, or it's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow. See, it can get down in there into your being and it can do what God intends for it to do. It can take off rough edges maybe that you've had all your life. It can do things that uh, will be necessary for you in this whole preparation process. And so... The Lord will continue, he will continue to work with you in your life, in your heart. And all he wants is your will, all he wants is your surrender. So let us look to him today and allow him to have his way, allow him to do what he wants to do, because that will be your salvation, that will be your salvation.